Welcome to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. The title of my message today is Come and See. Come and See. When you hear that, what do you think of? Chances are you have probably said that to somebody at some point. Chances are someone has said that to you at some point. Just come and see. There's something, if you said it, that you have experienced that you want somebody else to experience. And using the word see means to watch or to view, but it can apply to things that you've experienced in other ways also. Or if someone has said that to you, it's like, okay, there's something I'm telling you about, and it's so exciting, and it's so wonderful, it's just, you just have to come and see for yourself. Come and see. Come and see. I think all of us know that experience of, ha- of experiencing something really, really great. And it's like, this is so good, I've got to tell somebody else about it. Whether it is um, a new type of food for you, uh, or maybe a new restaurant that fixes your favorite type of food, or, or, or something like that, or, or maybe it's a book you've read, or a movie or TV show you've seen, and it's like, oh, this is so good, and I just, I want to just share that with somebody else. Have you ever had that, and then you start telling somebody else about it? Again, whether it's a restaurant, a meal, a book, TV show, movie, and you can tell they're just not getting it. You know, you, you, you're excited, you're, you're trying to describe it, and, and maybe you're even stumbling, oh, I, this happens to me all the time, stumbling over the right words to really encapsulate, you know, that book or that, that movie or, or whatever to communicate how great it was to you. And you can tell they're just not getting it. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, see, it sounds like it might be interesting. And what do you do? Well, you know what? You just got to see it. You just have to experience it for yourself. You see, there's some things in life uh, this is a foundational principle. Some things need to be experienced and not just explained. Okay? Some things, to at least have the full impact, they need to be experienced and not just explained. And can I tell you that, you know, we're in church, we're going to look at God's Word, and, and the application of this for us today is that Jesus and His life for us the formal term of Christianity, if you want to go that way. But, but I want it to be more personal that Jesus Christ and the fact that we can have a relationship with him. He came to die for our sins so that we could be saved and have a relationship with him and with God the Father that impacts this life and our entire eternity. It's something that needs to be experienced and not just explained. Now, explanations are important. Facts are important. The truth is important. And that is why sharing the truth, whether it's in a format like this of preaching or like we talked about for Wednesday night of teaching and discussion or a personal conversation or we search for the truth ourselves or as we're talking about now, someone shares the truth with us. That is so important because we all have a lot of questions. And sometimes, many times, those questions can be obstacles to us experiencing all that God has for us because we've got this question, it's a big deal, and we can't find the answer. So explanations are important. 
but they don't go far enough for all that God has for us. People need to experience Jesus for themselves, not just have a good explanation, not just have their questions answered. And so the second principle there goes right along with the first. Jesus Christ needs to be experienced and not just explained. It'd be sort of like if you had somebody in your life that was very special to you and you were to tell me about them. Uh, I, you could tell me all kinds of stuff. I could learn a lot of facts about them and I might even share your opinion that they sound like a really neat person. But it wouldn't be until I meet them and get to know them for myself that I would have that full experience of a relationship with them and whatever goodness might be there. I could tell you about my parents. I love my parents. I got great parents. If you didn't, I'm sorry. I'm not being flippant. I'm being serious. And I can tell you all kinds of things about my parents and why I think they're so wonderful and they're so great. And you may even agree with me totally. But it would be a totally different thing as if you got to meet them and spend time with them and get to know what, they were, what they're like through experience, not just facts. The same thing is true with Jesus Christ. To help us think about this a little bit better, I want to ask you, those of you that do have a relationship with Jesus Christ, whether you're here today or you're watching online, and we're so glad you are watching online today, if you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, a personal experience, how did you come to know Jesus as your Savior? Chances are somebody explained it to you but then you had a personal experience. The explanation laid the foundation. It opened the door, maybe answered some questions. Maybe it wasn't an individual personally. Maybe it was through uh, some other medium of watching something or uh, listening to a preacher. Or maybe you just did some research yourself. You read a book, whatever it is. You just focused on God's word, which is the best place to learn about Jesus. But you had some explanations along the way, but then you actually had an experience with Jesus. And can I tell you that that personal experience is so important? There are people who know a lot of stuff about Jesus, who know God's Word. They may know God's Word a whole lot better than a lot of Bible scholars, but they've never had a personal experience with Jesus. I heard it said many years ago that some people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. Have you heard that before? If you've been around here, you've heard me say it. It's been a long time since I've said it, but they're going to miss heaven by 18 inches. Now, those of you that haven't heard you say, how can you miss heaven by 18 inches? Are you like an angel's escorting you and he drops you right before you get there? No, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the distance between our head and our heart. You see, people can have all kinds of knowledge and facts and understandings and whatever about Jesus, but if it doesn't come down to a relationship in our hearts, it's that relationship that gets us into heaven. It's not what we know. And to be honest with you, it's not what we do. We can try to be good, and that's a good thing to do. You know, we can do all kinds of spiritual things. We can go to church, read our Bible, give money to good causes, you know, God's kingdom or other good causes. We can, you know, we can, we can serve people, and those are all wonderful things to do. And those are all things that we should do, especially when we do have a relationship with Jesus. Just to say, thank you, Jesus, you've changed my life. I'm going to get involved in, in, in helping other people's lives be changed too. 
But it's not the doing of the things, it's not the knowledge that we have that makes us right with God. Because the Bible says that we have this big problem called sin. And our sin separates us from God. I was going to explain this later, but I'm already rolling, so I'll go ahead and continue it. And that is that the wages of sin is death, is what God's word says. That because we are sinners, we have sin in our lives, we have earned death, not just physical death, but spiritual death, which is separation from God now and forever. But that same verse goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's why Jesus came. He didn't come just to be a good teacher, to be a good example. But he came to die on the cross. And to simplify it, because this may be one of the questions you have. How does that work? But the summary of God's teaching on the matter says... That Jesus came, God himself, in the flesh, to live a perfect life, the life that we could not live, so that when he died on the cross, a death he did not deserve, it paid the price for our sins. And if we come to him to have a personal relationship and ask him to forgive us of our sins based on what he's done, not on what we've done, that God says, yes, I will forgive you. And it begins a new life. A life in which we proceed to continue to grow in that relationship. The Bible says that God comes to dwell within us by his spirit. We grow in that relationship. It changes us from the inside out. We, we decide we're gonna just, we, we want to do everything we can to leave that sin behind because that sin is what alienated us from God from the very beginning. We don't want it there anymore, so we're going to live a new life. And it's a process of growing in relationship. There's just certain things we need to experience. As we dig deeper into this, I also want to talk about our church, too. And so I want to ask you another question to get you thinking along these lines. How did you end up coming to this church? Now, some of you, this is your very, very first Sunday here. I, I don't know how you uh, ended up here. I don't know if maybe, you know, somebody told you about it, which certainly fits the topic of what we're talking about. They said, hey, you got to come and see. you got to come experience what we have at our church or what this, this church I've been a part of or this church I've visited myself. Maybe you found us on the Internet. That happens sometimes. Sometimes people move into the community. They drive by and say, I'm going to go check that out. But most of the time when people come to our church, it's because someone invited them to come and see. They may not have used those three words, but hey, why don't you come to my church? Check it out. See what we got going on here. Why do you stay here? Those of you that have been around for a while, and some of you have been around here for decades, why do you stay here? It's because of what you've experienced here. Hopefully, the good part of what you've experienced, what I mean by that is what you experience about your relationship with God. You know, we've had people say they really love our church because the people are so friendly, so loving, and this, that, and the other. And if you say, yeah, I really like the music and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's pretty interesting sometimes when pastor gets up and says things and, and whatever. Those are all decent reasons. But the main reason, and I hope the main reason for all of us that are part of this church body is that we are still here because God's here. And because we have a relationship with God personally and individually, but also as a body of believers, as the scripture puts it, as a family, and we encourage one another, and we experience that together. Together. So I want to investigate this idea of come and see just a little bit deeper, and we're going to be taking a look at John chapter 1. 
I asked you to turn there a little while ago. John chapter 1, um, and then we're going to jump to John chapter 4 in just a little bit. But we're going to look at four specific invitations to come and see that John tells us about. Some invitations to come and see. And the very, very first invitation is Jesus himself. We see that Jesus invited John's disciples to come and see. So look at John chapter 1, starting in verse 29. And we're going to be talking about John, John the Baptist, not John who wrote this gospel, who was also a disciple and apostle of Jesus. But John the Baptist is the one that God sent to prepare the way for Jesus to show up. You know, Jesus is coming to live his life, do his ministry, as I explained a few minutes ago, to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And along the way, he is going to heal people. He's going to do great things. He's going to gather followers that he's going to pour into their lives because when he's gone, he's going to ca- they're going to carry on the work. He's going to build relationships. And John the Baptist is the one that God sent to prepare the way. And so John is preaching, he's teaching He's telling people, basically, God's getting ready to break into history once again and do something phenomenal. Get ready. And the best way you can be ready is to repent of your sins, commit your lives to God, and wait for this one he's going to send. But John, along with the other gospel writers, explains how he went about that. And so we see this in John chapter 1, starting in verse 29. It says the next day. Um, Previous to this, it talked about some discussions that John had had. And it says the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now, John packs a lot of stuff in this statement. On this particular day, Jesus is coming toward him, and John just announces to the crowd, which includes his disciples, the people that are following him, the people say, you're a great teacher, I want to learn from you. And he says, this is the one I've been talking about. He says, behold, the Lamb of God that will take away the sin of the world. Did the people there understand what that meant? Probably not totally. Did John fully understand what that meant? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. He says, this guy, he's more important than me because he existed before me. Now, John's older than Jesus by about six months. They're actually kind of related. But what he's saying is, I know that this Jesus is not just somebody I'm related to who was born six months after me. He's somebody a lot more than that. Did John fully understand all that? Maybe not. Did the people understand? Maybe not, but this is truth that was revealed to him and he shared it with the people. He says, in fact, it's because of this guy that I'm doing what I'm doing. God sent me to do this, to prepare the way for him. He says, when I baptized him, that's what he's talking about here. He says, I saw heaven opened and God's 
Spirit come down on him. That's how I knew he was the one. Because God told me that when I baptized this one individual, that you know, God's Spirit would come down upon him, and he'd be the one that I've been waiting for, that I've been trying to prepare for. He says, this is the guy. And God told me that he's going to baptize people too, but it's going to be with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? I'm not real sure, but God's going to do that through him. And then the last thing he says, and this is the Son of God. Again, how much of that did the people gathered there today really understand? Guarantee you not 100% of it like we can looking back. But I bet it stirred their interest. Who is this guy? God's getting ready to do something special. We've been waiting so long for the Messiah, the one that God's promise is going to come. Make everything right. Reset up God's kingdom. Bring righteousness and justice. All these hopes and dreams have been fermenting in God's people for sometimes hundreds of years. And now John says, here he is. And all these things are true about him. So we go on in our story now. Verse 35. It says, then the next day, okay, this is the third day John's talking about. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. We know one of them's Andrew. We're not sure who the other one is. Many people said it was John the Apostle himself, but we don't know for sure. But the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, that's what he'd said yesterday at the conclusion of all this other stuff that he'd said he says, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? Some translations translate that, what do you want? I think there's a double meaning to that. I mean, here in this story, when Jesus turns, I think he's trying to draw them in. He's saying, you're following me. What you want? What can I do for you? What are you seeking? Where are you going? What, you know, why, why are you following me? But I really believe with all my heart that Jesus is asking something deeper and that through this story, he's also asking that of us too. What are you really seeking? What is there in your life that you are missing? What is it that has you searching as you go through life? So he says, what are you seeking? And they said to him, they don't really answer the question, they say to him, Rabbi, which is a respectful term used to refer to someone who's an authority, who's a teacher, who people look up to. They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now, I think they're doing more than just saying, hey, where do you live? I think what they're saying is, where do you live? Where are you staying? I mean, he doesn't live in this area, but he's staying somewhere. And, and they want to know because they want to go spend time with him. They're communicating that, that we want to get to know you. We want to spend some time with you. And in verse 39, he said to them, come and you will see. Again, there's a little bit more depth here than just, okay, come with me. You'll see where I'm spending the night. I think what he's saying is, go ahead. I give you permission. Come along with me. Let's spend time, some time together. Let's get to know each other. Maybe you can find what you're really seeking through our experience together and the relationship that we know now that they formed and these two men became disciples of Jesus. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour, probably about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Some say that 
that they probably even spent the night, that they just talked long into the night. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So we know that one of them is Andrew, and I said many people think that the other one was probably the Apostle John, but we don't know for sure. So Jesus invited these two of John's disciples to come and be with him. They had made the initial, the initial step to follow him. And I just got to say this about John the Baptist. John the Baptist knew from the very beginning that he didn't come to build his own kingdom, to build his own following, but to point people to Jesus. And many of Jesus' first disciples were originally followers of John. And John said, you go ahead, you follow Jesus because he's really, you know, where it is. He, he's really the one that, that God's going to be working through. I just came to point, point to him. In fact, at one point, John says, I need to decrease and he needs to increase. And so John was glad that his disciples started following Jesus. And so Jesus said, come and see Come and see. And like I said, there's, there's some depth to that. More than just come find out where I'm staying tonight. And that same invitation Jesus offered to everyone of his day. And he has offered all through history. And I believe he offers to us today too. What is it you're searching for? What is it that is deep within your heart that nothing else satisfies? What is it that you truly yearn for? He says, I have the answers. Come and see. Later in his ministry, in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 29, Jesus told to the crowd that had gathered around him, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus looks to the crowd. He says, What are you struggling with? What is weighing you down? In their time, in the context of those verses, Jesus is talking to people who were trying to love and serve God, but it was so difficult because, unfortunately, the religious leaders had made it so difficult. The religious leaders had required so much more than God required and made it almost impossible for people to feel like they really knew God and pleased Him. In that context, Jesus is saying, listen... Just leave all that stuff behind. Come to me. Jesus never contradicted God or God's word. He said a lot of things that contradicted what the religious leaders said <laughs> that was not based on God's word. But he says, come to me. Lay aside your burdens. But can I tell you that it applies to the other circumstances of life too? You know, today we're not burdened down by all the little intricacies of the little rules and regulations that the religious leaders of Jesus' day had laid on people, we don't even know what they are. But we can go through life weighed down. And so that offer is still there. Jesus says, come to me. You labor, you're heavy laden, you can't find answers. I've got them. Come to me. Come to me. So Jesus said, come and see to John's disciples. We see immediately, immediately one of those disciples, Andrew, turns around and does the same thing. Andrew invited Peter, his brother. Just continue on where we were in verse 40. It says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first, first is right there at the beginning saying this is important to him. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means the Christ. 
And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. By the way, this is where we're going to pick up on on Wednesday when we start our study on the life of Peter. Because this is the first mention of Peter um, in God's word. And the first event of his relationship with Jesus. So Jesus invited Andrew and this other disciple to come and see. And they spent that time with Jesus and it just revolutionized their lives. And says the first thing Andrew did is he went to find his brother Peter. Now the words aren't there in the text, but I have no problem believing that he says, Peter, you got to come and see. you got to come and see. We have found the Messiah. We have found this one that our people have been waiting for for hundreds of years. The one that God's going to send and he's going to make everything right and it's all going to work out. We found him. Come and see. And then almost immediately we have another story where a man by the name of Philip, a man that Jesus called to follow him as a disciple, he invited Nathaniel. Not our Nathaniel, a different one, spelled different. But look at that, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he says, come follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. They were all friends. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He's saying basically the same thing Andrew said to Peter. He says, We found the Messiah, the one that was written by even as far back as Moses and all the prophets. We found him. And then it's interesting to see Nathanael's response. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? When you read Nathanael's story, you find he's from Cain. Okay, or Cana, I should say, not Cain, Cana, which is close to Nazareth. And Cana was kind of a well-known town, all that kind of stuff. Nazareth was kind of a little backwater place, didn't have a really good reputation. Nothing in God's word prophesied about anything good or anything at all, actually, coming out of Nazareth. And Nathaniel was a student of God's word. And, and you could take this, he's being really nasty and critical and negative, or he could just be questioning, like, how can you say that? You know, God's word doesn't say anything good's going to come out of Nazareth. He's doubting. He's, he's, he's maybe scoffing. He's, he's not real positive about Philip's invitation to say, hey, we found this guy. So how does Philip convince him? Does he start spouting off a bunch of facts, start quoting God's word? No, look. At the end of that verse, verse 46, it says, Philip said to him, come and see I think Philip knew that Nathaniel was probably a lot smarter than he was. And there was nothing else that he could say that would convince him. But he had had a personal relationship and an encounter with Jesus. And he knew that if he could get Nathaniel and Jesus together, that would make the difference. And we're not going to read it in the context of this sermon today, but you can go on and read the rest of the story because Nathaniel said, okay, I'll check it out. And Nathaniel shows up and he and Jesus have a conversation and he is immediately convinced Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one. Nathaniel's skepticism changed to a firm belief in Jesus. And why is that? How was that? It's because he experienced Jesus. One more story, and then we're going to talk about how this applies to us today. The woman at the well invited everyone in town. I like that. You know, Jesus invited the followers, you know, and Andrew invited his brother Peter, and Philip invited his friend Nathaniel. But then we got this woman at the well who invites everybody in town. 
And when you know her story, these are people that don't think too much of her. I don't know if that's really good grammar, but it gets across what I meant to say. So if we jump to John chapter 4, that's where this story is. Okay, I'm getting there. John chapter 4, in verse 28. Jesus and the disciples are traveling. They're going through Samaria. They're thirsty. They're hungry. They stop at a well. And uh, the disciples go into town to get food, and Jesus stays at the well. And where they're at is in Samaria. The Jewish people and the Samaritans had a long-standing feud They hated each other, to be real honest. And so Jesus is out there, and here comes this woman in the middle of the day to get water. That's not the usual time to get water, and she's coming then because she's a very immoral woman, and she doesn't want to be around the other women. When they come early in the morning, she doesn't want to be around them, probably because they mistreat her, probably because they talk down to her, talk bad about her, because they've rejected her. She's lived a very immoral life. Many of you know the story. If you don't, you can read it in John chapter 4. But she comes out to the well in the heat of the day when nobody else normally is there, and there is Jesus. And they have a conversation. Jesus asks her to draw water. She's totally shocked. He talked to her. Number one, he's a man, she's a woman. You don't talk to women that you don't know, and you don't even talk to the women you do know in public. Not only that, but it's obvious he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan. So all these barriers that would normally keep him blank. Prohibit him from talking to her. He just totally ignores him and talks to her. He reveals to her that he is the Messiah. She believes. Verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went into the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me, told me all that I ever did. One of the things that convinced her is that Jesus revealed things about her past that there's no way he could have known. And unfortunately, some of the stuff that God revealed to Jesus or that Jesus knew was that she had been a terribly immoral woman, rejected by her people. But still, even though she'd been rejected by her people, when she knew who Jesus was, she went to them and said, come and see this man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Can this be the Messiah? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. They believed her enough, or at least were curious enough to say, well, let's go check it out. Disciples come back with the food. They don't know what's going on. They're they're confused, whatever. Jesus talks to them for a little while, but then when you jump down to verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. We've heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. She said, come and see. She did some explaining. She had that explanation. But what really clinched it for the rest of the Samaritans was that they experienced Jesus for themselves. They didn't just have an explanation. They had an experience. But it started because she said, come and see. So we've got these individuals who are saying, come and see. We've got Jesus calling people to come and see. He calls that to all of us. You have Andrew going to his brother, come and see. You have Simon going to a friend, Nathaniel, saying, come and see. You have this woman going to people that have rejected her because of her lifestyle and saying, come and see. And they encounter Jesus and have an experience. 
can I tell you that the way this applies to us is we need to invite people to come and see Jesus. We, as a church, we, as individuals, if we are believers, if we have a relationship with God through Christ, we need to invite people to come and see Jesus. But that raises a question, how do we do that? Jesus isn't here, physically. Right? I mean, it's not like you can go to your friends, your co-workers, the, the people you know at school, and say, hey, why don't you go to church with me on Sunday, because Jesus is going to be there. Now, that is true, because Jesus is always with his people whenever they gather together, but he's not here physically. But I mean, if, if he was going to be here physically, how much easier it would be to go to people and say, hey, come to my church this Sunday, Jesus is going to be there. Yeah, you Christians always say that whenever you get together, Jesus is there. Ha ah, spiritual, you know, this one. No, no, I mean, really, he's going to be there physically. He said he was going to show up. You'll see him. You can shake his hand. Well, that's not going to happen, but... How do we do that then? How do we invite people to come and see Jesus when he is not physically present? And it will not be till he comes back again. I guess basically we're asking, how can people experience Jesus today? How can people experience Jesus today? Well, first of all, people experience Jesus today through his followers. If you are a follower, you're a disciple, you, you have a relationship with Jesus, you have a relationship with God through Jesus, people should be able to experience Jesus through you. You know, when Jesus was here in this world, many places, and one of them is John eight twelve. he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. A lot of stuff you can unpack in that. The darkness of this world, the darkness of sin and evil and, and the bondage and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus came, you know, metaphorically to be the light, to dispel the darkness, to set people free. All that's true. But once he left, he was no longer here. But he had already prepared his disciples to say, you know, I'm going to leave. When I do, you Actually, I was getting ready to say something that wasn't true. He didn't say, you will be the light of the world. He said, even while you're here, if you're with me, you are the light of the world too. In Matthew chapter 5, actually, part of the Sermon on the Mount, verses 14 to 16, Jesus is talking to his followers. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine. Before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He says, you know, I'm the light of the world. You're with me now. You are the light of the world. Don't hide it. Let what God has done in your life shine forth in such a way, and I like the way he words it, that it brings glory to God. If we are letting our light shine in such a way it brings glory to ourselves, we're doing it wrong. Now, that can happen when we don't want it to, because people see what God's doing in us and they may give us more importance, but it should never be something that we set out to do. It should never be something that we promote, promote ourselves, but know that we try as best as we can to allow what God has done for us to shine through in such a way that it points people to Jesus and to God, not just to ourselves. And we all have to pray and figure out how to best do that. 
I like this illustration. Somebody once said that Jesus is the sun and we're the moon. You know, the light of the moon actually does not reside in the moon. It's just the light of the sun reflecting off of the moon. That's kind of how it is for us or should be that Jesus is the light of the world. But may his light shine through, reflect off of us. And may we do everything we can to get rid of anything that's going to dim or dull that reflection. So there's two applications of this whole idea that people experience Jesus today through his followers. The first one is the church. God's people is a body of believers. The church is the presence of Jesus in the world. Now, I'm not just saying that from a picture. I'm saying that from what God's word says. The church, the body of the church as a whole, but each church individually should be the body of Jesus, the presence of Jesus in this world. Paul writes the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3.16. And he says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now when he says, Do you not know that you are God's temple? Both of those yous are plural. That means he's talking to the whole church. He says, Do you, the church at Corinth, do, do you as a church, do you not know that you as a whole church are God's temple? temple, and it's the place where God dwells, where his spirit is evident, where his spirit is active. And that same letter, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, gives a little bit different picture. He says, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Same thing, the spirit dwells within the body, but you, talking about the whole church, are the body of Christ. And he uses that picture of how we're all different parts of the body. Some of us are like a hand, some of us are like a foot, some of, you know, whatever. All the parts of the body are important. We all got to play our part. Jesus is the head, you know. But the point he's trying to make is that God's presence, Jesus' presence is manifested within his people as they are gathered together. Somebody once said, we are his hands and feet. That can be the church, true of the church in general, but I just want to bring it down home. Our church... Marion Oaks Assembly of God is the presence of Jesus in our world. And so this is something that, that we wrestle with on a regular basis and we should continue to wrestle with. And that is how do people see Jesus in us as a church? When people come to be with us for a service like this or a Wednesday night Bible study or to the ladies group on Tuesday and the men's group on Thursday. And these are just shameless advertisements for you to get involved any other activity that we might have, a fellowship, a movie night, a game night, whenever we're gathered together for whatever purpose, whether it's to study and hear God's word and to worship or just to fellowship and enjoy a good meal together, when people come to be with us, how do people see Jesus in us as a church? So many different answers to that. If they can see and sense our love for God and for Jesus, our, our love for one another. You know, Jesus even told his disciples, this is how they're going to know you're my followers because of how well you love each other. Our love for them when they come. What God does in our midst, what God does through us, the way that we preach, teach, share, study, discuss God's word and the truth that is in it. And even more or just as important, how we live that out. You know, one of the biggest obstacles 
of people seeing Jesus in us is when we say we believe one thing, but then we live a totally different way. Now, none of us are perfect. I am not perfect. I'm still a work in progress. We still are. But sometimes that can also be a great testimony to what Jesus is like, is the way he has changed us and he is changing us. No, we're not perfect yet, but my goodness, look at how we've changed. My goodness, they even apologize when they do something wrong. They asked me to, they asked me to forgive them when they blew it. I mean, there's so many different examples of how even in our failures, if we as believers in Jesus Christ respond the way God wants us to, to make things right, can be such a great testimony of God's presence, of Jesus' presence in our life. Do people see Jesus in us? Right now, I'm not talking about us as individuals, but as a church. As a church. Do people experience Jesus when they spend time with us? One of the most important keys to this, and I can't really spend a lot of time to explain it in its fullness, but I hope you'll get the gist of it, and that is a challenge I give to you, and that is don't just go to church, be the church. Don't look at Marion Oaks Assembly of God. If this is your church home, I know we got some guests here today, and this is so appropriate. It's like, what are you experiencing about Jesus in us? Well, only you know that, and we won't know unless you tell us, but I hope you're experiencing good things about Jesus because you've come to be with us today. I hope we've been able to point to Jesus and not ourselves. Don't just go to church, be the church. Don't just look at church as a place that you're going to go because that's what I'm supposed to do as a Christian or whatever. I was raised that way or whatever. But I want to be the church. What that means is I want to, I want to be actively involved in the way that God wants me to be involved, which is different for each person, to make sure that God God's work is done through our church and that his purposes are accomplished and we're pointing people to Jesus. Now, be the church. But I also want to encourage those of you, this is your church home, to invite people to come and see. The people that are around you. You know, sometimes people really emphasize and push, you need to talk to everybody you come in contact with about Jesus. Now, let me tell you, you need to be open to talk to anybody and everybody God leads you to about Jesus, total stranger or whatever. But can I tell you, in most cases, God, I don't want to say God doesn't want to use you, but, but God more is able to and wants to use you in the lives of the people you already know. We saw it in the story, that your family, your friends, the people that you're acquaintances and maybe you don't even get along with, but they know you. I just want to encourage you, those of our church family, to invite people to come and see. And to do that by inviting them to church or a church event or a church activity or a church group that with your knowledge of them and what they're going through or how their life is, that this is something that I really think that they could relate to. That maybe that'll help. I mean, there are some people that they wouldn't want to darken the church's door for any reason at all, but maybe they'll come for a meal. We say that every time we have a meal. Hey, invite some of your friends. Maybe they don't want to come to a service. They don't want to be in a place where people are singing and preaching about God and this, that, and the other. But, hey, they'll come and enjoy a good meal. Invite people. Come and see. We have these little cards in the back called invite cards. They have the basic information about our church. Take whatever you want if you find that to be helpful. You know, there have been a lot of surveys done about why people come to church and when and under what circumstances. And did you know that most people who don't visit a church... We're never invited. As they've done these surveys and they've asked, have you ever been to the church? No. Have you ever been invited? Most of them say, no, I've never been invited. But the opposite is also true. Most people 
said that they would visit a church if somebody would just invite them. We sometimes think there's such big obstacles and hoops we have to jump through to somehow convince somebody to come to church or a church activity. And some people, all they're waiting is just for somebody to invite them. Take a chance. What are they going to do if you invite them to church? They're not going to chop your head off. They may say, no, I don't think so. That's not that big a deal. I got to get to the second part so we can wrap this up. The second application of this. Not only is the church the presence of Jesus in the world, but each Christian is a representative of Jesus in the world. If we have a relationship with God. Going back to 1 Corinthians, the book where Paul says, you, you whole, you, 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 the whole group, the whole church, you know, you are a temple, God's spirit dwells within you, you're the body of Christ. In another chapter, 1 Corinthians six nineteen. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And now he's talking to the individuals. He says, do you, you know, each of you is an individual member of this church. Each of you as a Christian, do you know that your body, your your person, is also a temple of the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul explains a little bit more about how that works in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he has a relationship with Jesus. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I talked about that earlier. When we surrender our lives to Christ, he, he changes us from the inside out. We're living a different life. We want to live to please him. We want to leave that sin behind. It's like being a new creation. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And it was because Jesus died, we can have a relationship with him. That barrier that was there is taken away. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He wants to use us to help other people experience the same thing. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And God makes his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He says, we are now ambassadors for Christ. What's an ambassador? It's a person who acts as a representative of somebody else. He says, if you've got a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you've had that experience, you are now an ambassador for him. You are a representative of him. You are a representative of Jesus in your world. You know, in Scripture, the stories we have in Scripture, the first time believers were called Christians was not by other Christians. They were called Christians by people out there in the world. What did Christian mean? It meant somebody who was like Christ, somebody who followed Christ, somebody who was associated with and had a relationship with and emulated Christ. And it was people that didn't even know Christ that said, those people are Christians. They claim to know Jesus. They act like Jesus. They got a relationship with Jesus. Their lives have been changed by Jesus. Do we live up to that title of Christian that I just described? We need to not literally say this. But we need to be able to believe that we can say this at least to some degree. Again, we're not perfect. We're still works in progress. To be able to say to someone, come and see Jesus in me. Again, you... you I can't think of any situation you probably would literally say that to somebody. But could you? Can people see Jesus in you? Can people see Jesus in you? 
How do people see Jesus in me? How do people see Jesus in you? Our character, how it's changing, our love for others, what God's done in our lives, what God does through us, what we share with them about Jesus, what he's done for us. There's an old song. Some of the words are, you're the only Jesus some will ever see. You're the only Jesus some will ever see. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 11. When we preached on this last year, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He wasn't bragging. He wasn't trying to point people to himself. He says, he's basically saying, to the degree that you can see Jesus in me, that's the way you need to live. He was confident enough that even though he wasn't perfect yet, that God had made such a big difference in his life that his life could actually be used as an example of what Jesus can do with somebody. He encouraged Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. He basically says, you know what? You're you're struggling with some very difficult people, but don't, don't worry about that. You just live the best life you can as a follower of Jesus, and it'll be an example to them. They'll see Jesus in you. What do you want people to see when they look at you? What do you want people to see when they look at you? What kind of image are you trying to portray? What kind of image are you trying to develop? You know, if you could really discern that, it tells you a lot about a person. There are some people, and they'll just come right out and tell you, I want to be sexy. I want to be seen as being smart. I want to be a success. I want people to think I'm spiritual. And if you do that the wrong way, that's not a good thing. It's back to motives. You talk about people being dressed to kill or dressed for success. And and I'm a firm believer and we need to look nice, look sharp, you know, make the best of yourself. Make yourself attractive. My mother-in-law used to say about makeup, if the barn needs painting, paint it. You know, all that kind of stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you think of what people see when they see you, what's the most important thing to you? And what are you doing to see that happen? There was a survey done by the Church Growth Institute, and it said that of all the people who accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, develop a relationship with Jesus Christ, 86% of them do so primarily through the influence of their family and friends. People they know. So I said earlier, we need to be willing to be used by God to reach out to anybody he brings into our path, even if we've never met him before. But the people you have the most influence over are the people you already know, or the people you will come to know and develop a relationship with. Now, I'll tell you that there are churches that don't point people to Jesus very well, and I don't have any particular one in mind, but I'm not responsible for them. I'm the pastor of this one, and I don't want ours to be one of them. I want our church to be a church that represents Jesus well. We're not perfect, but in everything we do, from our worship team leading us in worship to me preaching or teaching to our small groups to the different events, I want them to point people to Jesus. The same thing can be true about individual believers. There are some people who call themselves Christians that don't really point people to Jesus very well, but I don't want to be one of them. I'm not responsible for them, but I am responsible for myself. 
You know, you might say, well, people can't see Jesus well in my life because I've not been a Christian very long, and I still got some messes I'm working on. You know what? The woman at the well would say, you're in my group. (laughs) Her life was a mess, but Jesus made a difference, and it still made a difference in the people that she knew. You know, my dream for our church is that this will be a place where people can experience Jesus working in and through his people. We say, come and see, and they'll come and they'll see. They'll see Jesus. My dream for myself is that I would continue to grow in my relationship with him and allow him to change me and cooperate that in my character and in everything else, my example in my ministry, and that that will cause people to want to choose to live for Jesus. But how about you? How about you? I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to invite my wife to come. We've got two elders that are able to be here today. If you are able to come, elders, and come to the front. And the worship team is going to lead us in a song. And I just want to encourage you, as we always do, to use this time to meditate on what God has spoken through his word. To respond to it in the way that you know you should, whether it's an act of surrender, commitment, dedication, saying, God, how does this apply to me? You can sing along if it's a song you know and you want to worship. But also during this time, we're down front in case you would like us to pray with you about anything. Anything. For yourself, or if you want to come and say, hey, pray with me about somebody else. And especially if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship, we would love to talk with you briefly about that and pray with you about that and deal with that. So we're going to do that, and then I'll come back in a little while to close our service in prayer. Hallelujah. Before we close in prayer, can we just do that right now? Can we just worship him? God, we love you. God, we thank you that you invited us to come and see. And Lord, at some point in our lives, some recently, some a long time ago, we responded to your spirit speaking to our heart, drawing us to yourself. And we not only learned some truth, but we experienced And we continue to experience a relationship, a personal relationship with you, with Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. While we live in this world, Lord, it doesn't make everything perfect. It doesn't solve every problem the way we'd like it to be solved, when we'd like it to be solved. But, Lord, you are with us. You help us. You work in and through our circumstances for our good. God, it makes me think of that passage in the psalm that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. God, you are good. Not everything in this life we experience is good. Not everything you allow us to go through is good, but you are good. And if we live with you and for you long enough, we've experienced that. We thank you, Lord, that you are good. We rejoice in that today. God, may people see your goodness in and through us. Not just when we're with other Christians in a setting like this, but in our world, in our homes. Thank you, Lord. God, I pray that as we leave this place today, that we would go with the desire and the determination to say, God, I want to live the life you have for me, and may it touch people's lives out there in the world. Guide me and lead me. Open doors to where I can shine your light through what I do and what I say. And Lord, when there is that open door to talk about you, it's scary sometimes. We don't know how people are going to respond. We're afraid of being rejected. But God, may we take that step 
and not be ashamed to tell people about Jesus and what you've done for us. Father, we thank you and we praise you for it and we give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you and have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 